Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. Well, unfortunately, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed. And as much as we uh, honor her legacy and her contribution to the Supreme Court and the United States of America in general, we do move on to filling a Supreme Court justice uh, vacancy. And the craziness has already started. And the subject of one's religion and uh, how that affects them and their thought process is front and center with one of the potential um, nominees, Amy Coney Barrett, and her Catholicism at front and center of um, of the debate. And I, I just, just see an article that Joe Biden is now touting his... Um, his Catholicism and says that he is devout and it shapes him in every way, uh, which is kind of curious to me. But Hillary Clinton did the same thing about this time during the campaign in 2016 as she touted her Methodist faith as something that she leaned on heavily during times of uh, trouble and sorrow, etc. So it is undeniable that politicians will either exploit Jesus for their benefit or be very genuine and tell the their constituents or potential constituents that um, they do believe in God. They're unashamed of God, which is a good thing. But the two are very different. Um, whoring out Jesus, as I say, which some people have a have a problem with that verbiage. Um, there really, really is no other way to say it. Um, and many people do it. And I would shudder to bow um, before Jesus if I was one of those people. But there are politicians that if you ask them, they will certainly tell you who they believe in and what their faith is all about. And I think that's laudable. So we will discuss the acrimony that's going on with uh, Donald Trump's potential Supreme Court justice nominees. Um, and some of the election stuff. But I I did want to get into something uh, that I saw the other day in in Deuteronomy 28. This is is, um, a chapter in which um, we learn of the blessings for our obedience and the cursings for our disobedience. And let me, uh, before I get going too far here, let me read a little bit of that for you. And... Then we'll comment on how I believe it pertains to us today. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give to you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed, and the crops of your land, and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in, and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put in your your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. 
And now we move on to the cursings. This is Deuteronomy 28, verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed and the crops of your land and the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke in everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because the evil you have done in forsaking him. Now, I am not a biblical scholar, never went to seminary, Bible college, barely graduated state college. But um, in my estimation, there's a lot of truth to these verses as it pertains to the United States of America. Now, some would take issue with that, but there's a couple of things that you cannot take issue with. And one of which is there is a clear and distinct pattern when the Jewish people obeyed God and when they did not obey God. When they obeyed him, they were richly blessed. When they said, eh, we got this, then the Lord sent cursings upon them. And then when they figured it out and turned back their ways to the Lord, he blessed them again. It was very much of a cause and effect throughout uh, biblical history. And and that is undeniable. Uh, secondly, from my vantage point, uh, common sense would tell you the United States of America is about 250 years old. Um, there really has never been any country, culture, entity that has been so wildly blessed and so advanced and, and so dripping with all sorts of prosperity as quickly as the United States of America has been since its inception. And in my humble opinion, that is because we are a nation who believes in Jesus Christ. Now, I know what Barack Obama was trying to say when he said, we're not a Christian nation. Yes, we are not a theocracy. We we are not like um, Islamic nations throughout the world where religion is politics and politics is religion. The two are inextricably intertwined. However, outside of the our form of government, we certainly are a collection, or at least we were, of people that believed in Jesus Christ. Our laws, for goodness sake, are based on Judeo-Christian principles. And if you think that foundation was not missed uh, by God, and our wild blessings as quickly as they came in this country are not a direct result of us honoring those Judeo-Christian principles pretty much as a society, I think you're missing it. And I think it is not out of the realm of possibility to think that this country is sliding and its better days could be behind us. Um, That scares the heck out of me. And I know elections aren't necessarily uh, lines in the sand. If uh, Joe Biden wins and uh, people that are going crazy in the street and up is down and black is white and sunny is cloudy, that does not necessarily mean that we're over as a, as a country. 
you know, we could come back from this. Uh, the seventies I lived through, they sucked. <laughs> and, uh, Ronald Reagan came on the scene and the next 20 years were pretty good based on many of the things that he brought to the presidency. So I'm not saying in 42 short days here that, um, if Donald Trump doesn't win, we're all going to hell in a handbasket. However, if we don't marshal enough people to take the election out of it, to look at what is going on in our cities and our suburbs and even in the country and say, this is wrong and we got to understand why it's wrong and call wrong wrong, then we are as a culture going down the tubes pretty quickly. And you know, something's coming to a head. I really believe it is. And uh, again, uh, let me state this categorically. I do not mean that if, if Joe Biden becomes president, we're doomed. Uh, the country and the Constitution is strong. The American people are strong. We can survive Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, do I think it's a green light to a lot of people that are creating chaos and havoc and operating in a manner that is no way, shape, or form anywhere near biblical principles. Yeah, I do, but it doesn't mean it's over. But I'm telling you, this is a great country, and it's teetering, and that is uh, just undeniable. Which leads me to my next story, which is Franklin Graham announces prayer march. And this is coming up on Saturday, the 26th. Uh, it says... Um, Franklin Graham is calling on Christians across the nation to join him for a prayer march. I'm going to be here for our nation's in our nation's capital to pray, and I hope thousands of families, pastors, and churches will join me. Our nation is in trouble, and we need God's help. Again, I think that's a pretty undeniable statement. The prayer march will take place Saturday, September 26th and extend 1.8 miles from the Lincoln Memorial to the Capitol building. COVID-19 put a halt to many of the evangel excuse me, evangelistic efforts Franklin Graham had planned for 2020, including the Decision America Heartland Tour, which was set for this month. In response to the pandemic, racial tension and other current events Graham has continuously urged Christians to remain diligent in prayer. And again, folks, this is a lot bigger than God, please um, let Donald Trump win. God, please let Joe Biden win. This is a lot bigger than this, uh, than that. Uh, Donald Trump, either in a few weeks or in four years, will be gone from the political scene. And Joe Biden, the same. Um, and we will still be left with a country that is incredibly divided. Uh, people daily with a, in my estimation, a very perverse view of what, uh, the American, uh, experience, uh, was, is, should be, um, using the Bible, using religion, using denominations to twist and contort and pervert scripture to fit into a narrative. I think these are some really, really dangerous, sad times. And I don't know about you, but there are many, many days where I just don't have anything to say other than I'm going to my prayer closet and I'm not coming out for a while and I got to pray 
for a whole host of things. And this is what um, Franklin Graham is suggesting that we do on September 26th. There's obviously simulcasts throughout the internet. Um, and uh, But if you want to join this march, um, they are expecting quite a number of people. Uh, Reverend Graham goes on to say, we need to pray now more than ever than we have ever done in our life, he said. Our communities are hurting, our people are dividing, and there is fear and uncertainty all around us. So let's just join together and do the most important thing, and that is to pray. We're going to pray that God will intervene and save this nation. So um, I think that was pretty benign. I think that was pretty 50,000 foot. I, I think that was not real um, uh, anything that anybody could take issue with, but I'm sure that there are a number in our culture that would take issue with that. They, um, they, many have, have said uh, Franklin Graham is a, is a shill, a hack for Donald Trump, and therefore anything that he does is grandstanding and, and is done for the purposes of getting uh, Donald Trump elected. Um, I don't think that's the case. He, he does unabashedly support Donald Trump, but um, I think his love of God and his love of country far surpass any um, political um, affiliations or alliances that he may feel that are important. Um, that and the um, some of the Amy uh, Coney Barrett um, uh, things that she has said and, and her opponents has said about her kind of led me to start digging into some articles about faith and some of our politicians. And uh, I found this one from NPR of all places, how Joe Biden's faith shapes his politics. It says, when Joe Biden seeks to inspire or comfort, he turns to his faith. His speeches are woven with references to God, biblical language, or the Pope. On Monday, the Democratic presidential nominee spoke to the faith-based anti-poverty group, the Poor People's Campaign. And let me just digress for a second. Um, the Poor People's Campaign is another one of these ever-growing, ever-well-funded uh, social justice left um, I'm not going to go as far to say pseudo-Christian because I'm sure there are Christians among the poor people's campaign that are woefully naive to many of the affiliations that the poor people's campaign chooses to ally themselves with, uh, many of which are Marxist organizations who, as we've chronicled on this show several times, the, the cornerstone of Marxism is uh, the eradication of God. So a faith-based group that has alliances with other groups that are expressly hostile to God makes no sense whatsoever, but many of the people in the Poor People's Campaign or many other entities, Black Lives Matter for that matter, and, and many others are just, let's be kind, woefully ignorant to the origins of these groups and the um, the agendas, the deep-rooted agendas of these groups, which are nothing um, that even remotely glorifies God. And we'll get to that in a moment. So he's speaking at the Poor People's Campaign, who has, um, in, in you know, on their Who Are We 
section of their website say they are against extremist religious and Christian nationalists who have a, an agenda. So that pretty much tells you who they are right there. And um, he described the United States under President Trump when speaking to this group as a nation in the wilderness. All of you remind me of how scripture describes a calling born out of the wilderness, Biden told the virtual audience, a calling to serve, not to be served, a calling towards justice, healing, hope, not hate. Now, I'm not going to take up much more than a, a few minutes here dissecting that sentence. Uh, we could take up the whole show. We could take up 20 shows in Joe Biden's uh, half a century career of being a politician. And just as healing hope and particularly not hate are not things that I think he should really speak about, um, particularly the not hate um, as as is timely now that we're going to go through another judicial uh, nomination process. Um, the same Joe Biden that literally eviscerated Clarence Thomas some 29 years ago and countless others for that matter cannot even begin to quote scripture and allude to scripture and talk about um, how his Catholic faith tells him not to hate. He just can't. He has no credibility whatsoever and he should remain silent, but politicians can't remain silent. They, they just can't. So it goes on to say, he speaks to the good news and followed by some good deeds. It's not just enough to speak the good news, but good deeds. This wasn't a one-off religious reference. This is how Biden routinely speaks. First time hearing about it. The former vice president launched his candidacy, candidacy by referring to his campaign as a battle for the soul of the nation. It was the central theme of his primary run and remains a core tenet of his campaign. If elected, Biden would become only the second Catholic president in American history. And it's not a detail he highlights, but people who know him well say his Catholic faith is central to how he sees the world. Uh, goes on to say he carries a rosary in his pocket, attends mass every Sunday, uh, is known by those in his inner sanctum as a deeply devout person of faith. Uh, let me let me read a little bit more at the end of the article here. Josh Dixon, National Faith Engagement Director for the Biden campaign, says the former vice president wears his values and his faith on his sleeve. Let me read that again to those of you that really know Joe Biden and really have studied his legislative record. Um, Josh Dixon, National Faith Engagement Director for the Biden campaign, says the former vice president wears his values and his faith on his sleeve. I'm not even going to comment. And because faith is such a core part of Biden's identity, some, sa some staffers say it's become a core part of the campaign. Um, let me read a little bit more. Um, and, and this is where I probably will comment. He's very clear about justice. Um, and this comment comes from no other than Sister Carol Keehan, um, uh, the president of the Catholic Health Association. And she touts and alludes to his role in 
traversing the country um, promoting the Affordable Care Act. So in Sister Carol Keehan's opinion, um, he is a um, he is a righteous man. Uh, he's a faithful man. He takes his Catholicism seriously because he goes out and he talks about the Affordable Care Act. Um, and this is said by Sister Carol Keehan. Um, she goes on to say, he's very clear about justice, she said. Now, this is what's going to gall many of you, particularly evangelicals that are on the right that do know the scriptures. And again, um, I, I don't want to comment too much other than I, I want my mind and my soul to be in an area of, of pity and sorrow and fear for Joe Biden when he takes the gospel and perverts it and puts it out front and center to get elected or to get some votes, uh, particularly in a, in a Catholic constituency. He's very clear about justice. She said, when Joe Biden talks about faith, he talks very much about things like the gospel of Matthew. What you've done to the least of my brother, you've done to me. Okay. Um, do you think Jesus Christ up above has a concern for what abortion has done to the little ones in this country, primarily black little ones and uh, poor little ones, um, to the tune of, of just countless Americans. You know, I, I quoted in my book, Reshaping America, the the folly of um, black leaders and, and people that are uh, purport to be concerned with African-American uh, causes. If, if, Planned Parenthood had not been allowed to do what they have been allowed to do in the last 50 years. It is estimated that the population of the African community, African American community in this country would not be 11, 12%, which it is now. It would be a whopping 35%. Um, that is a staggering extermination of a race. And for Joe Biden and Sister Carol Keehan, and I'll just say she must be ignorant, to to overlook that uh, a religion such as Catholicism that just weeps for the poor and has, has done so much for the poor and has, from a cultural standpoint, been taking the arrows for years from the abortion industry and Democrats in particular that want to continue to fund abortion, promote abortion, take money from abortionists for Joe Biden to be all about the gospel of Matthew and to say what you've done to the least of my brother, you've done to me when this industry has just snuffed out the lives of so many innocents is just, it's galling. And the fact that people in general, uh, likely voters in particular, faith-based voters in, in particular, even more so are, are ignorant to the, these glaring just inconsistencies uh, among the um, the social justice left uh, who is who will rail over things that they perceive are wrong in in the United States of America but they're absolutely silent when it comes to abortion and it, it's just horrible um, article concludes here over his years in public life Biden has become more consistently liberal on the issue of abortion. Last year, he reversed his decades-old position on the so-called Hyde Amendment, which bans federal dollars from funding abortion 
in most cases. Polling from the Pew Research Center finds that the majority of American Catholics believe abortion should be legal in all or most cases. And that paragraph, sadly enough, is a true statement. I think that they, as much as we have um, uh, numbers and many fine Catholics that will go to the mat and fight tooth and nail against abortion, I do think we have an ever-growing social justice left um, in in the uh, Catholic community that votes routinely for Democrats that are pro-abortion and pro-many other things that are anti-family and anti-God. Uh, I'll, I'll just say it the way it is. So these are true statements on um, in this paragraph. Uh, Joe Biden, you know, you know what's sad is usually when people get older, they become wiser. And it is not unusual that um, particularly women that were pro-abortion as, as young women um, and young people in general, uh, as they get older, and they see life the way they should, and they become wiser. Many of them become um, uh, pro-life, and that that is not unusual. But once in a while, certainly not with a high percentage at all, you see politicians that were pro-life that have turned pro-choice, which I don't see how that one happens other than you never really were pro-life in the first place. Al Gore um, went to divinity school. He was doggedly pro-life and then he became pro-abortion. The article here says Biden um, has been kind of wishy-washy like um, a lot of Americans are like, yeah, it's happening, but just let's not talk about it. And yeah, the the six month is pretty gruesome and, and let's not do anything after that. But before that, you know, as if the size of the baby really dictates how egregious this procedure is, which is really nuts to me. It, it really is. But there's a lot of Americans that are very much okay with abortion in the first trimester and a little more queasy as it goes along. But Joe Biden has kind of done the opposite of that. He was um, f- pro-abortion, and he, um, but he didn't, he, he stopped short of wanting federal uh, funds to pay for abortions. But now he says all the way, Federal funds, your tax dollars and mine should pay for this egregious um, procedure. So there we have Joe Biden um, telling us his faith is something that he draws on. And um, I'm here to tell you something. In in this world we live in where people don't pay attention uh, all as much as they should and don't study things and, and, and operate on an emotional level, there's a fair amount of people that all they have to hear is Joe Biden's faith moves him to do what he does every day. All they have to hear is that he rubs his rosary beads. All they have to hear is he attends mass. All they have to hear is a couple of nuns saying how wonderful he is. And that's enough for him. And, and I'm going to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, you want to know why it's enough for them? Because those constituents, they play at their religion as well. Um, And I'm going to agree in my next article here with Dianne Feinstein with some of the things she asserts. You may be surprised to uh, hear me say that, but 
she's absolutely right. And it goes very nicely, uh, dovetails from what I just said, that the reason that this new social justice left or the um, people that uh, attend church every now and again, they don't read the Bible, they don't really care about it, they think it's an antiquated uh, book or dogma, they don't need too much to be swayed uh, other than Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden saying, yeah, I'm faithful, there's a God up there, because that's pretty much the extent of their faith as well. Now, I, I'm, I'm wading into a territory here where I'm probably starting to offend some listeners, and I'm sorry if if I am, and, and let's just take it as a challenge if you are one of these people to go to the Word of God, enter into a bona fide relationship with the Most High God, become a Christian, read your Bible, and the Lord will impart wisdom to you, and you'll start to see some of these things that sadly more and more and more Americans are missing. So the next article says, flashback, Amy Coney Barrett pressed by Dems in 2017 hearing over her Catholic faith. And the famous quote that Diane Feinstein, senator from California, said, dogma lives loudly within you. And um, that was supposed to be a very damning statement. And that will, if Donald Trump does indeed uh, nominate Amy Coney Barrett, um, that will come up again, as it has come up with many um, potential uh, Supreme Court justice nominees, and um, they talk about their religion. So let me read a little bit of this, and let me tell you where I think Dianne Feinstein is correct about this. The article says, President Trump's reported meeting with Judge Amy Coney Barrett after the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg calls to mind the scrutiny she faced over her faith by Democrats in 2017 when she was appointed to the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. Barrett, a Catholic mother of seven, had to assert numerous times that her faith would not influence her jurisprudence. In a, re, in a resurfaced video, Senator Dianne Feinstein, Democrat of California, ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, told Barrett at the time that she was concerned over her Catholic beliefs and particularly how she would um, apply them in cases um, involving abortion. And these are the words of Dianne Feinstein. Why, it, why is it that so many of us on this side have this very uncomfortable feeling that dogma and law are two different things? And I think whatever a religion is, it has its own dogma. The law is totally different, Feinstein told Barrett, a Notre Dame law professor. And I think in your case, professor, when you read your speeches... The conclusion one draws is that the dogma lives loudly within you, and that's of concern. Now, let me let me stop right there. I could not agree with Diane Feinstein more. Let's be really clear and say something that you can't say in politically correct America, and you certainly cannot say if um, you want to be approved to be on uh, the Supreme Court, you can't say what I'm about to say, and it's commonsensical. 
of course, your belief in personally, Jesus Christ lives inside you. And of course, that dogma lives loudly within me. And of course, how I conduct myself in whatever I do is going to be greatly influenced by that. It should be. The Bible is a just an instruction book on life. So as many, to my dismay, as many Americans operate, the Bible's over here. God's over here. It's something you do on Sunday and then Monday through Saturday, live large and uh, we'll talk to you on Sunday, Jesus. That's ridiculous. God does not uh, like that. Uh, it, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit weeps over that type of religion, if you will. I hate to use that word. But um, if, and, and, and again, I think Diane Feinstein is right. And I know for all sorts of political reasons, Amy Coney Barrett can't stand up and say, yes, um, my Catholicism uh, tells me that Jesus Christ is Lord and um, I follow uh, the, the laws that have been laid out. Uh, ironically enough, so do we, because our uh, laws in this country, the interpretations she's going to make are of the Constitution of the laws that are founded, that's the irony, that are founded on Judeo-Christian principles. Just, it's amazing how this stuff wraps right around. But uh, of course she cannot say that because she will be roundly, I don't know, in this world we live in, probably uh, tarred and feathered and killed. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek, but maybe I'm not, uh, if, you, if you put the news on. So she cannot say that. But in a very odd way, Dianne Feinstein is correct. Anybody that purports to be a, a Christian, let's just say, and a follower of Christ and takes Christ's principles and puts them on the back burner when she is making decisions left, right, and crazy, basically urinates on James 1 verse 5, which says the Lord will give you wisdom if you just ask for it. Well, Amy Coney Bryant, or excuse me, Amy Coney Barrett, I would presume behind closed doors when she has a big decision to make, ask the Lord for wisdom. Is Diane Feinstein saying you, you can't use that wisdom because it has nothing to do with the law? Oh yeah, the law that is based on Judeo Christian principles. Ladies and gentlemen, you see how whack this is and you see how non-thinking people are when they don't, you know, tease this out like I have done here. Um, so the people that subscribe to this philosophy where your religion's over here and your politics is over here, um, I just think, and I'm going to be kind again, I think most people that think like this um, are just colossally ignorant to to how wacky that philosophy is. I, I'm just going to be kind to them and say that they really don't understand, or if I don't want to be kind and I want to be somewhat truthful, they're playing at their religion. When somebody sticks a microphone in your face, it's it's kind of, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in God. And 
But when you start getting into that weirdness about going to church and giving 10% of your income to the Lord and reading the Bible and going to a Bible study and turning down business deals because God wouldn't like them, then we're getting a little wacky. I'm not one of those guys, but yeah, I'm a Christian. So, you know, I I think in this culture and I think in, in the eyes of Dianne Feinstein, if you're one of those casual Christians, casual Catholics, um, if you're playing in quotes that you can't see on the radio here, if you're playing at your religion or playing at your faith, we're still going to rake you over the coals, but that's cool. But if you're one of those that takes that Bible seriously and doesn't use it as a prop, like a lot of politicians on the right and on the left do, then we're not only going to go after you, we're going to go after you hard. And that's what we have here. Um, and I think it's good when Diane Feinstein makes statements like this because it makes us think, it makes us think, are we playing at this thing called Christianity? Are we serious about it? Um, are we willing to lose professions, jobs, Supreme court nominations, uh, over it? I don't know, but I think Diane Feinstein is right when she asserts that somebody's dogma, if they're devout about it, will definitely um, be in the judgment process. And she doesn't think it should be. And I most certainly do think it should be. So anyway, we move on to uh, things that are a little bit more um, real and in front of us and sober. I I saw on the news the other night, um, Governor Ron DeSantis proposing a new bill that would crack down on violent protests. And um, any of you that have heard me for any length of time knows that uh, I'm a big Ron DeSantis fan. Um, He took a lot of heat uh, for a lot of months with his handling of, of the COVID pandemic, and he still does. But this is a guy that um, does not back down. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not prognosticating here. But uh, I've seen guys in politics like this before um, uh, in Kentucky, the former governor and um, and some congressmen. Um, and and in, unless they are in solid, solid rock, rock rib Republican conservative districts, it's really hard to tee it high and let it fly and talk in a very unequivocal forthright manner, which is what. Ron DeSantis does quite often. And when you're a governor of a state, particularly a state that's kind of 50-50, unfortunately, uh, as refreshing as I think it is, as necessary as I think it is, I think it does spell political doom a lot of times because, man, do you anger the other 50% that didn't vote for you and do not like you. Um, But that is the first thing that struck me the other night when I watched Ron DeSantis on uh, Tucker Carlson's show was the the forthrightness and the leadership that the guy displayed. You can love him, you can hate him, you can disagree with him, but it is absolutely undeniable that he does not equivocate and he doesn't talk out of all sides of his mouth. And that's refreshing, but a lot of times what that does is... Um, is uh, you're one and done as far as your um, 
political career is concerned. But this article here says in Jacksonville, Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis announced a new bill Monday that would increase charges for those who participate in a violent or disorderly assembly. DeSantis made the announcement at the Polk County Sheriff's Office. The bill is called the Combating Violence Disorder and Looting and Law Enforcement Protection Act. That's quite a mouthful. A violent or disorderly assembly would be defined as when seven or more people are involved in an assembly that causes damage to property or injury to people. Our right to peaceably assemble is one of our most cherished as Americans, but throughout the country, we've seen that right being taken advantage of by professional agitators bent on sowing disorder and causing mayhem in our cities, DeSantis said. I will not allow this kind of violence to occur here in Florida. The legislation announced today will not only combat rioting and looting, but also protect the men and women in law enforcement that wake up every day to keep us safe. I look forward to working with the Florida legislature next legislature next session to sign this proposal into law. Now, even though I just said when you get up in the village square and speak as forthrightly as Ron DeSantis does, um, and, and I said, you know, that could be very politically dicey. I think when we're talking, and I've said this several times, I think when we're talking about um, safety and law and order, I think it's not a 50-50 thing, particularly in a state like Florida. I think you're definitely going to get 10 to 15% of Democrats that, may not care for you, may not agree with a lot of the things you do, certainly did not vote for you um, the last time you were up for governor. But on this issue, when you simply turn the television on and see what is coming to your suburb or small city or large city, I think the sympathy and the understanding um, for what Ron DeSantis is uh, proposing is something that peels off a fairly large percentage of Democrats. Um, And that is precisely why Donald Trump in his stump speeches is really hammering home the, um, the law and order thing. He's definitely, um, uh, he, he's, he's saying this will not happen in my country and, it's a travesty, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, you may not agree with some of the things he's proposing. A lot of it is uh, bloviating, but you can't deny that at least he's talking about it. And there's a lot of people on the left that are just not acknowledging what you and I see when we flip on the television every single night. So um, when I jotted down some of the things that this um, proposed, uh, this bill proposes to do. You know, it's funny. If if you look at the things I'm about to say in in a sane world, in a world of yesteryear, perhaps when up wasn't down and gray wasn't cloudy and or cloudy wasn't sunny or whatever you want to say, um, the things that I'm about to tick off here really should resonate with probably a solid 80 or 90% of, of uh, 
citizens. It really should. The fact that it doesn't is is really a testimony to how desensitized and programmed we all are by the liberal media, the entertainment complex, uh, those that disseminate information. Um, when I was doing, digressing for a second here, when I was doing a little research on that group that um, that uh, had a problem with uh, Donald Trump, the people's, um, whatever it was, it's escaping me, um, a, a, a group that purports to be a faith-based group but has ties to many Marxist uh, organizations. Do you know how long it took me to find out anything about them that was not syrupy and sweet and glowing and wonderful. It took five pages of, of a Google search. And this is, this is a growing problem that, and, and I wouldn't be using Google exclusively if I were you, but I'm just illustrating a point here. It took me five full pages to find out something other than that they're wonderful. They love people. They love poor people. Um, they're all good. They're faith-based. Da, 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 da. It, it took me to the bottom of the fifth page, and it was some article that followed the money and followed um, who they were affiliated with and, and some of the nefarious individuals they were um, uh, affiliated with. So, again, you know, I'm digressing, but the, the disseminators of information have so watered down the truth that I could very easily see if you heard these things I'm about to take off that you may not um, you may not agree with them but I but in a sane world I think they're all quite reasonable so the first one increase criminal charges against rioters okay so um, we have plenty of laws on the books now that if you do something and you are of one category or another or you have different intent from somebody else that's doing the same crime, you get more charges. I don't necessarily agree with that all the time, but that is number one on his list here. Make blocking traffic a felony. Okay. Again, you you might say, yeah, felony. Come on. That's a little strong. However, uh, being one that has lived, and I'm, I'm thankful that I have lived through many protests and traffic blocking in the city of Philadelphia, which is famous for all sorts of orchestrated uh, traffic blocking. Traffic blocking is not as um, benign as you may think it is. People die of heart attacks because they're languishing in um, ambulances or loved ones are trying to rush them to the hospital. Um, the The untold amount of uh, uh, economic um, devastation um, that is done with, with a lot of these jabronis that have... Uh, orchestrated uh, traffic jams on the Schuylkill Expressway. For you, those of you not in this area, that is the major artery that goes into Philadelphia from the western suburbs. Um, all sorts of uh, bodily injury that happens to people that are just trying to go to work or trying to navigate and they're caught up in, in a melee somewhere. Um, and, and countless other things. Um, blocking traffic is not quite as benign as you may say it is. Now, um, 
a felony? I'm not so sure I agree with that, but it, it, it depends who's doing the traffic blocking. If it is a well-funded, well-organized blocking of traffic, then maybe I, I could see going after the big fish that's funding all that. The next one, making toppling statues or monuments a felony. Now, these are all at the state level in Florida, but Donald Trump has already said, if you listen to any of his campaign speeches, um, once they increased fines and got real serious about fines and jail time for people um, toppling uh, federal statues, um, it, it literally ceased. You you do not see it or hear of it as you did just a matter of weeks ago. And I think that's a good one. Make it illegal to harass people at restaurants. Now, many of you probably are wondering, why the heck isn't it illegal now to harass somebody at a restaurant? It should be. Um, and this is born out of when these mobs sometimes well-organized, find a politician they don't agree with or a uh, important figure of one uh, stripe or another that they do not agree with, they will stalk them. They will find them in a restaurant. They'll wait till they sit down and order. They'll be there with their children, their wife. It doesn't matter. And they surround them and harass them. Now, to me, is that quite amazing that that's not illegal now? Evidently in Florida, it's not. So he proposes that this become illegal. The next one, provide immunity for people who drive through a mob. Okay. Now you may say, okay, people are in a uh, mob and they're threatening you with uh, clubs and sticks and you drive your car through them and injure people and kill people. I don't think you should get immunity. Uh, I think that's um, I think that's pretty strong behavior driving uh, your car through a mob. I don't know. Have you ever been in a mob? I mean, there, there's been countless uh, video that I've seen of poor, unfortunate drivers that have just gone down the wrong turn. Can you say our uh, uh, street? Uh, Reginald Denny did it during the uh, L.A. riots some 30 years ago. Um, do you fault somebody for driving a vehicle on, on the public roadways and then a flash mob just engulfs the vehicle that you and your wife and your daughter are in and they start rocking it? I don't know. Are, are you tempted to hit the gas and just, you know, maybe tap on the gas and see if they get the hint? I, I don't know. But... Uh, I'm telling you, looking at it through the eyes of the protester is one thing, but looking at it through the eyes of the poor individual that has his car engulfed and God knows what is going to happen to that individual, he may see it or she may see it a different way. Um, punish hitting a cop with a six-month mandatory minimum sentence. Again, is that outlandish? I thought that there and the, and there are and at least there were laws on the books when you murder a cop um the penalty that you get is uh much more severe than if you murdered somebody that wasn't a police officer. I know that used to be on the books. I don't know if it's on the books anymore. Evidently, we have to go through the Florida legislature to um put into writing that if you hit a cop 
you have a six-month mandatory minimum sentence. I think that will stop people from throwing things at cops, shoot, well, certainly shooting cops. Um, not everybody's going to shoot a cop, but I am pretty stunned at the amount of beer muscles people have when they're, uh, and they're not, they're not drunk, but maybe crowd muscles, if you want to call it that, in a crowd that will do things to um, a small group of uh, officers that are just trying to keep the peace. It's pretty amazing to see a 20-year-old skinny female anarchist come up and slap a cop in the head or throw something at him. And if my kids ever did that, or I ever saw somebody do that and they were going to get a six-month mandatory minimum sentence, I wouldn't have much sympathy for them at all. Prohibit state money for places that defund the police. Um, that one and the next one is about all we have time for, but I think they are really, this starts to hit it in the heart, okay? You, you choke off the money, you got a problem. And for cities like Philadelphia and many other major cities, to stand up on a soapbox and says, yeah, if ICE comes in here and tries to um, uh, arrest our citizens um, that may not even be citizens, but we've called them citizens in our sanctuary city, ICE is going to have uh, to answer to us about it. And, and that's insane. And for cities to have palms on both sides of their hands and look to their state capitals for money to bail them out because they don't know how to manage money and then put your thumb in the eye of people that um, defund the police summarily and put all of their citizens, their their God-fearing, tax-paying, decent citizens at risk. Um, in the words of Ron DeSantis, he said, there's no way that's going to happen. Um, we're going to defund you. You defund the police. We're going to defund you. The last one I wanted to get to, and and this, again, uh, will put an end to this, I think. Allow victims of riots to sue local governments. And that's a big one. If you can take out a lawsuit against a city that has said, we're going to defund the police, we are going to let criminals that are armed, heavily armed and rabidly crazy to walk the streets. And if you or your business happen to get messed up in the process, well, tough luck. No, 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 not in Florida. Ron DeSantis says, if that happens to you, if your property is damaged, if your person is damaged, you can go after the local um, government in that area that has allowed this chaos to foment I think that is a really great idea. And we're going to end it with that. This is Reshaping America. Kurt Flewelling, until next week, have a great day.